everybody there in Facebook. Welcome to In Our Own Defense Podcast. We're your host, Attorney A.D. Winters, founder and managing attorney of VeteransDefender.com, and Dr. Dolores Tarver, licensed psychologist. For more information about our podcast, just go to In Our Own Defense on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, or email us at inourowndefense at gmail.com. Or you can speak to us right here on live. The purpose of our our podcast, our mission uh, is to share truths and create dialogues that increases our listeners' awareness of a variety of concerns and foster the development of a holistic plan, which includes a mental, physical, spiritual, intellectual, and financial wellness. Good to see you, Dr. Tarver. How are you today? I am awesome, Attorney Winners. Good to see you as well. Good. Well, so we we have the, the privilege today of being joined by an exceptional attorney, uh, former commissioner in 19th JDC uh, Judicial District Court in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, a JAG officer uh, with over 20 some odd years of military service, a Southern University Law Center graduate, uh, an extremely talented um, friend, mentor, colleague that, um, that I like to call on if I have questions, if I have issues as a lawyer of, of 15 plus years, um, I look to him uh, as someone, as a beacon and a stalwart uh, person that brings about the truth. Um, somebody I look up to that I, I honestly like to be more like. Um, and so we're so lucky to have um, former commissioner and major in the United States Army and Army Reserve, uh, Quintilis Lawrence. So I'm so excited to have him. But how have you been and how's the practice been, uh, Dr. Tarver? I've been great. I'm very excited uh, to have Attorney Lawrence to join the show with us again. Uh, he joined us previously on a show to talk about um, the military and racism in the military, and it is good to have him back. He is running for judge, and we're excited about that. I've been great in the practice. People are very, very aware that it is election season, and so frequently my sessions do begin to move toward talking about politics, whether that is my choice or not. Uh, and, and people are um, you know, expressing a lot of opinions. People have a lot of anxiety concerns. We're, we're early voting here in Georgia. And so uh, I think this, this show is timely because I think people are really just trying to figure out, hey, how do I vote? Um, who do I know to vote? How to vote? Who do I know how to vote for a person? Um, and making my selections, what information is accurate. And um, so that stress is kind of overriding everyone. So I, I think that this is perfect timing for us to be able to discuss some of the things that's gonna help people be able to make informed decisions as they get ready to vote. Yeah, you know, and as you said, we, we had uh, Attorney Trey Baker, the Director of African American Engagement for the Biden-Harris 2020 campaign. I think that series that we did, that four-part series that having him on four times to, to really discuss that that helps shape this show. Um, and, and this is, is not just a show about um, our guests running for 19 JDC uh, uh, Judicial District Court judge, uh, which I know he's extremely qualified, the best candidate of all the candidates that are running in the, in the district. This is no fluff stuff. I practice law in that court. I know he's the most capable person. Um, and we're lucky to have him as a veteran, as an as a extremely uh, intelligent person. But it's important for us to have him on this show to really, to let's talk about the 2020 elections impact on the judiciary and 
help our listeners understand some of these answers to these questions about why is it important at all from the election itself to the judiciary? Why is that important? And how does that impact your life just as much as a president or a senator or a congressman? Uh, you know, why don't you go with our, with our first questions? We can dispense with all of his, they can go to his website and learn everything about all of his uh, credentials and, and high education and jurisdiction and all that. But I want you to jump right into the first question, if you don't mind, Dr. Tarver. It is my sincere pleasure. So let's get going. You ready, Attorney Lawrence? I am. I am. All right. All right. Um, so we know that in the news cycle, there has been the potential for confirmation of Amy Coney Barrett to the Supreme Court and there have been some concerns about how judges have ruled in cases related to police brutality. And that's brought a lot of attention, I think, to the judicial process and just um, judges being um, elected. So when you talk about in your platform, speaking of your website, the importance of uh, fairly applying, applying the law, following the constitution without an agenda, treating everyone with dignity and respect, as well as just highlighting your own experience as a defense attorney, a judge and a prosecutor, which are some unique experiences as you're running for this position. So just can you talk to our viewers about what you feel are important things for people to consider when they are voting for judges? And, and why do our voices even matter when it comes to that? Great question, Dr. Tarver. I think that, uh, First of all, we all know it's very important to vote in general. Uh, people lost their lives so that we could have this right to vote. Uh, but when you're looking at applying some type of criteria to judges or people who are running for judge, one of the most important things that I think is uh, necessary for, for the voter to consider is that individual's ability to look at people as people. And, and some would just say that that's just plain no empathy. Being able to put yourself in the shoes of the individual before you. Now that doesn't mean that you're going to say, because this person is this type of uh, person or is in this situation, you're gonna give some special uh, attention or some special uh, treatment of that person. It just means that when people come before you and they are individuals who are in a certain situation in life that you understand that that's where they're coming from. And so in across the board, your rulings would be fair to those people. It's not fair to tell a person who is uh, struggling financially, struggling with, with some type of uh, substance abuse, something struggling with some type of mental disease or defect or some mental illness that they should perform in the same manner that everyone else performs because they're not in a position to it, especially when they have some mental illness, especially when they have some substance abuse issues. I mean, they are, it's a sickness, substance abuse is a sickness. And so they have an illness that is pretty much controlling them. We have to take into consideration that. And so there has to be issues of, of sentencing that correlate with that. Uh, sometimes courts don't have the ability to do that because their hands are tied, so to speak, because there are mandatory sentences that they have to hand out. Um, so to that end, I would say that we have to talk to our district attorneys about not charging people 
with certain instant certain crimes when they know that they have these illnesses they know that they have these situations so but but judges are often uh when, when when we're talking about electing a judge when a vote is cast consider the fact that that person understands people that person had that judge that potential judge has the ability to ex exhibit empathy on top of that that person needs to be knowledgeable because you can't exhibit empathy in the right manner if you don't know the law. If you don't know the law, you cannot do that because you'll be trying to do something to, and I air quote this, help someone out when all you're doing is hurting them because you're not following the law. You don't understand the system and how it operates. So you have to have an understanding of the law. Not just an understanding, but a grasp of it, a, a deep and embedded knowledge of the law. So that that's what I would say is most important for the voter. You know, I, it's funny that you say this grasp of the law, because I think most of us would expect that anyone running <laughs> would have that. But I, I but I think you're bringing up some fair points of, you know, what are people's knowledge bases about mental health? And, and of course, you know, I very much appreciate you bringing up mental health, because that is one of the challenges that I think people face is that there is a lack of understanding. And so when you are going before a judge and there is a lack of understanding of mental health, then yeah, that person's sentence is going to be affected by that. And so there do need to be things in place. And I'm, I'm happy to hear that that's something you're thinking about, um, because I think it's important that anyone that is working with people in the capacity of law should understand mental health and should have some training on that. So I appreciate you, because um, so, I think that's something that our viewers need to look for. You know, what, where is this person's stance on, on that? Um, so in, in kind of uh, going along with that, here in Georgia on our ballot this year, we're, we're doing early voting as I know a lot of other states are. Um, we're actually voting this year on waiving state and local sovereign immunity. For violation of state laws as well as state and federal constitutions. Now, this was something the Georgia legislature actually passed um, back in 2019. They attempted to um, a sovereign immunity bill and uh, Governor Kemp actually vetoed it. But I know that some people don't really understand what that means. So can you talk about sovereign immunity and how maintaining it or dismantling it can affect us as citizens? Yes. Well, it's it's. It, I'll say it's a simple concept. I, I dare I dare I say that because some people don't understand what it is. But what it is is it's it's sovereign immunity would be the states being immune, or or the 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 community, whatever it is, municipality, state, parish, county, city would be immune from any civil or criminal liability to include their employees when acting in their course and scope of their duty as whatever it is, uh, Department of Public Works worker, police officer, uh, whatever the case may be. Um, the, the, the problem is, uh, in general, in our country, we have this concept that if you hurt somebody, you ought to pay for it. You ought, to, you ought to repair a person, put them back in the position that, they, that you found them in when you injured them, you hurt them. Car accidents, we, we pay for the damage of the car, we pay for the illness, uh, the injury, uh, future loss of wages, future uh, pain and suffering. We, we, we put people in positions to pay for that. So when a government does the same thing, 
why would they not be placed in a position where they have to uh, repair a person to their former self? I think that sovereign immunity is, is something that we ought to look at dismantling because people ought not be held left holding the bag themselves when they had no reason or they were not responsible for their damages, their injury. Um, it's it's just really weird because I've, I've always felt that you, you yes, you render unto Caesar that which is Caesar, but when we render it unto Caesar and Caesar is the one that hurts us, then Caesar ought to be able to repair us and put us back in a position where we are whole again. I mean, that's the, the very concept of our, our tort law, our personal injury law, is if you hurt a person, you ought to be the person who repairs that person and puts them back in the position that they were. And the state should be no different, none with, no, no different at all. Now, I do understand that most people look at it as if you're doing your job and it's not a, a wanting and reckless disregard for the person that you ought not have to pay. Well, I still believe that, yes, there, there may be an opportunity for you not to punitively make them pay for the damages, but you still ought to pay the damages that makes them whole. And that that and sovereign immunity gets away does away with 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 all of that dismantling that would 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 put people on equal footing with the state to the extent that if I injure the state in some way break a criminal law they get to they get to sue me in criminal court and say hey you go to jail take away your freedom uh, which is the basis of our country the freedoms that we get this is why uh, Anthony and I put the uniform on so that we can protect the freedoms of this country so why is it that the state, the government, the the entity that we're talking about, isn't in a position to pay their debt. It, it's just it's it's unfair. And and while the courts are not courts of fairness, they're courts of law. Fairness is at the root of our system. That's why we have two sides. That's why we have an independent third party arbiter, the judge, there to make the decision as to who uh, who wins when applying the law to the set of facts that were presented to him or her. Who wins? That's what fairness is, 100%. Thank you so much for that response. Um, I actually have a follow-up, Attorney Winters, if you're okay with that. Uh, we got a question from Facebook. And so um, I'm gonna let my follow-up be this question that came in from Facebook. Um, so you get to be on the spot here a little bit, Attorney uh, Lawrence. Uh, the question is, what about the people who have been incarcerated that lose their right to vote in most states? How can this be rectified to the people who have served and are now back in society? Well, uh, it, it in a lot of states, it is has been rectified. There has been a groundswell of movement towards ensuring that those individuals are in a position so that they can vote. Here in Louisiana, it has happened. Individuals who are released from incarceration, released from probation, after five years, they are eligible to vote. They get a letter, uh, there's a little onerous activity, but it's still, they, they have the right to vote. And we chip away at these things piece by piece. Currently, if an individual is five years post his, uh, him being under the state's supervision, he or she is in a position to get a letter from probation and from the Department of Public Safety saying that that individual is eligible to vote because of meeting that criteria. And they take that to the registrar of voters and they're eligible to register to vote. There is a movement, uh, the voters organized to 
uh, educate and the voices of the experience. Uh, one is the organization, the other is the 501c3 arm, the educational arm of the organization. But those are formerly incarcerated individuals here in Louisiana that got that act, that bill passed and enacted, as well as they were they were big behind uh, uh, the uh, unanimous jury uh, rules here in Louisiana to ensure that every felony was a unanimous decision by a jury as opposed to a 10 to 2, which is an old Jim Crow legend, uh, uh, rule that was utilized here to to to, to do what it did. Um, so uh, yeah, I think that definitely former incarcerated individuals need to have the right to vote restored, especially once they pay their right to their debt to society. Thank you so much for that response, sir, because I'm aware that a lot of people don't know that they actually can vote in certain states. And they think that once they've convicted, uh, committed that felony and been convicted of it, that, that they lose their right to vote forever. And there have been states that have been able to dismantle that. So thank you for letting our viewers know that because you probably are gonna help somebody recognize like, oh, let me check, because maybe I am able to vote. I can still have a voice. Um, <laughs> awesome. Attorney Winters. 